Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success. And practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome to this latest edition of the Nonprofit Coach. Thanks for joining us today. This uh, show is always one of the biggest shows of the year. Of course, we uh, have our experts on today to talk about the Giving USA 2016 report. Uh, tens of thousands of listeners always uh, join us uh, or listen by podcast. Uh, for this particular show, and this happens to also be our last show of the first half of the year. We'll be going on our summer hiatus, uh, only 93 days of summer, folks, so uh, uh, start counting down, and I hope you have a wonderful summer. Uh, Mark your calendars. Uh, The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show will come back live after uh, the summer. We will have our first live show back here on September 20th. As always, here on the Nonprofit Coach, you can join us over in the chat room. Uh, I see some folks over in the chat room. You can certainly ask questions there. Uh, You can, as the announcer mentioned, call in when we get to our page two experts at 347-324-3080. For the super shy, you can also email me your questions at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. First up here on page one news, and we do have a full uh, page one full of news today. We've got uh, Jen Borkoff is back here on the Nonprofit Coach, Director of Knowledge Services at the Foundation Center. Um, Jen, you've got some important Foundation Center updates for our listener today. Take it away. 
Hey, Ted, thanks. So I'm coming to you all with three big updates to share. We could go on, but we have four to six minutes, so I will fill them up. So the first update is really exciting. It's the relaunch of IssueLab.org. So IssueLab is where the social sector finds and shares what we're collectively learning about social problems and their solutions. Right now there's more than 20,000 publicly available, searchable, taggable resources, and they're organized by issue area. So there's 38 issue areas, more than 15,000 authors, and more than 7,000 publishing institutions. So why is that valuable? Well, it's really easy to actually find what you're looking for. It makes the black hole of the Internet actually user-friendly and connects you with really important research evaluations, case studies, and issue briefs that can really help inform your programmatic directions and even just broader awareness of what's happening in the field. Um, the other thing with the Issue Lab I just want to flag is that it's really reliant on you, authors, researchers, funders, practitioners, uh, to upload content that you've come up with. So we'll host any work published or funded by a social sector organization, foundation, or university-based research center. And it's all free and accessible to the public. So consider this a place to broadly share stuff that you've worked really hard on um, and get the word out about important research. Yeah, Jen, the, re the relaunch yeah. of Issue Lab is so important. And I just want to note uh, to folks that it's, it's also a great way to identify and connect with experts in the field on a whole host of topics. Absolutely, yeah, and we actually have pulled some of those topics out into what we call knowledge centers or basically special collections of resources on certain topics, and those in particular really highlight thought leaders um, and knowledge synthesized from across experts in the field, um, so check those out as well. We have ones on everything from gun violence to immigration strategies and capacity building. All right, so the next update I will share is that we have some exciting new online courses. Um, Beth Cantor and John Kenyon, who are leading social media experts, have actually contributed to three of them. Um, they're called Build a Social Media Strategy, Social Media for Leaders, and Leveraging Leadership for Social Media Success. And what's great about this platform, I've actually taken two of those classes myself. It's really mobile friendly, which is exciting if you are someone like me who is always on their phone and kind of wants to do things on the go. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that you can take back to your office, worksheets to download, and templates. Um, so this is really exciting, and that's for everyone in the sector. It's not just for funders or just for folks who are running nonprofit organizations. It's really for everyone at every level. Um, in that vein, we have another learning opportunity that's coming up on June 30th. It's a free webinar on the SDGs, which are the Sustainable Development Goals. If you don't know what those are or you don't quite know how they relate to your work, I really suggest tuning in. Um, it's going to bring some leading experts to you to talk about what the Sustainable Development Goals are and why they matter to your work no matter what it is that you're doing. Um, this is a global agenda that's really important to, at the very least, have awareness of, and it's also a platform that you can use to enhance your strategy going forward. So then the final update that I'll give is actually um, from a colleague, um, Kate, who is on a road trip right now. 
So she is road tripping to various sites um, that we call our funding information network. So there are more than 450 sites in the U.S. and around the world that host foundation center resources and trainings. So she has eight stops on this road trip. Um, right now she's actually at the Jacksonville Public Library in Florida, and that's on her way to the ALA conference, a lot of librarians getting together to think about how to share information effectively and with audiences who can benefit. Um, and she's stopped everywhere from Philly to Virginia Beach to Charleston. And at each site, there's been a class that's been taught, and she's met local community members. And so I just want to highlight this to say wherever you are, there's probably a place to go to access all of our resources for free and from librarians or other site managers who can really help you navigate all of the information out there to the nonprofit sector. So you would find your local SPIN um, by going to grantspace.org. And grantspace.org will also have a recap blog after she completes her road trip. That's terrific. So Jim Borkoff. That's those are big updates, and uh, I urge everyone to uh, check out the sites uh, Issue Lab uh, and Grant Space, uh, in particular. And Jen Borakoff, Director of Knowledge Services at Foundation Center, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you uh, back here on the show in September. Have a wonderful summer. Thanks. You too. Next up here on uh, the nonprofit coach, um, Gabe Cohen is uh, joining us uh, for the GuideStar Minute. Uh, Gabe, bring us up to date at GuideStar. Hi, Ted. Thanks. And first off, uh, a belated uh, happy anniversary to you. I think I missed that last month, so congratulations. Oh on yeah, that. thank you. Yeah, big big sixth anniversary. Absolutely. Uh, so we are pretty excited over here at GuideStar something that we've been working on for a while now, uh, launched within the last month since we last talked to you, and, and that's our platinum seal of transparency. Uh, as you know, Ted, we have been uh, allowing and encouraging nonprofits to update their profiles on GuideStar for a while now, and what platinum allows them to do is add quantitative results and progress metrics right there on their profile. So. Uh, for a while, ourselves and BBBY's Giving Alliance, uh, Charity Navigator, other organizations have been fighting the overhead myth. And we know that overhead ratios are not a great proxy for nonprofit performance. Uh, one of the things that we've been struggling with, though, is how can you demonstrate your progress and results in, in a way that's not your overhead ratio. So Platinum is designed to do exactly that. Uh, and it emphasizes those results uh, in, in lieu of something like an overhead ratio. Uh, we're really excited. We launched this in May. We have over 1,000 organizations that have participated already. Uh, 4,000 metrics have been added. And um, one of the things that we're really excited about, I just am going to do the quick four steps on how an organization would do this. First, you go to, your prof you go to GuideStar, claim your profile if you haven't already. What we've created is called a common results catalog. That's 700-plus metrics that have been uh, created with the help of almost 100 different experts all over the philanthropic and charitable landscape that help organizations think about what are the things that they should be measuring that are making a difference in the world. 
Um, and about 75% of the metrics that we've collected thus far have been from that common results catalog, which is great because it's really going to let us start to collaborate with each other at a higher level. Seeing other organizations in your area that are working on similar problems and that are having great results will open up a whole new set of conversations that can come from that. Uh, but we do allow for custom metrics if that's something that a nonprofit wants to do. Uh, so. All you have to do, update it. You can then add historical information too, so not just this year's data, but previous year's information. You can annotate it. So we're super excited about this. We've seen a huge number of foundations start to request this information. We've seen reporters say that they're not even going to think about covering a nonprofit until that nonprofit has filled out their GuideStar profile all the way to platinum. Uh, so we're seeing a ton of momentum around there. And for more information, uh, your listeners can go to guidestar.org backslash platinum to find out more. Gabe, it's so important to provide uh, transparent information. And of course, a lot of charities attempt to do this on their own, but what this uh, provides is a good framework to think through transparency. What does it mean and how can you offer it uh, to the community? So, uh, Gabe, thank you so much for this update from, uh, from GuideStar, and you have a wonderful summer, and uh, we'll see you back here live on the Nonprofit Coach in September. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate it. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we have a, a really uh, special surprise uh, guest here, um, new to the Nonprofit Coach, but really pleased uh, to welcome Annie Rhodes here from McPherson PR uh, to just sort of give us a, a bit of a thumbnail on some important work that she's been doing about the rise of results-focused and ROI-driven giving. Uh, and uh, we promise to have Annie come back with uh, much more information uh, in the fall. But Annie, give us uh, a little bit of a peek into what we're going to see on a, a future show. Great. Thanks for having me, Ted. I'm so excited to be here to talk about the evolution of giving, what we're seeing, how we're seeing funders really make that shift from traditional checkbook philanthropy to a results-focused giving, where funders are now measuring the impact of their grants in, in everything that they're doing. It, doing. And we see that on all, all sides of the, the philanthropic space, from the the small family foundations to those large corporates. This is very important work. Give us a, a bit of a sense of some of the, the metrics that, uh, that you're seeing in it coming out of the ROI-driven giving report. Uh, so what, what's interesting uh, with a group of, of funders that we're working with is they're really trying to figure out uh, how to track and measure so they, they know what their strategy is, they know what their goals are, and we're really working with them on how to track and measure and, and get to, get to those, those results. Uh, what, what we've provided them with is the ability to coalesce around a common measurement and results language. So we've built a sector source taxonomy. So, so you understand uh, what, what other, other funders are working towards and, and, and see which results are most powerful. So you can adopt those into your process. So it's a great way to learn from the experience of others and be able to share information in an impactful way. Exactly. Exactly. And, Annie, and we're ex – yeah. Go, no, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that as part of the BlackBod team, we're excited uh, as part of BlackBod to have both the nonprofits and the funders having this conversation together. So we're bringing everyone to the table uh, to encourage collaboration and that upfront conversation uh, in, in the application cycle so that when the, the, the grant starts that everyone's on the same page and tracking to the same results. And the funders are encouraging their nonprofits to actually use those results to help uh, to share more broadly with other stakeholders or for future funding opportunities. So it's, a, it's an opportunity to, as Gabe was saying, that, that transparency into the cycle for that nonprofit to share their results to attract other future funders or donors. This is very important work, and, and Annie, that's a terrific segue to our next uh, page one expert uh, here. Very quickly, I'm just going to bring uh, Tara Stewart here as the Director of Corporate Communications at BlackBod to bring us up to speed on the next BBCon. Yeah, thank you, Ted. Thanks for having me today. Um, our next BBCon is shaping up, and we're glad you're going to be able to join us again and broadcast live from our social media lounge. It's always fun. I think a lot of guests are excited to get to meet you in uh, person really and only hear you on, you on the air. Yeah, um, Absolutely. So for those who might not know, BBCon is our annual conference that kind of brings together all the nonprofits so we can learn about technology innovations, share best practices, um, and get some good new information from some of the most influential nonprofit leaders, including yourself. So thanks, thanks for joining us again this year. When and where? Yeah, October 26th through the 28th. And this year we're back in D.C. holding our conference at the Gaylord National Resort and Convention Center. So technically that's the National Harbor in Maryland, but right near D.C. So you can register now uh, for BBCon at bbconference.com. And we have early bird pricing through July 15th and regular pricing um, after, after that. But do uh, come around and see online, stay up to date on things, speakers, sessions, networking opportunities, everything will be listed out. So one more time, it's bbconference.com. This is uh, such an important conference. I always tell people it's one of the mo best well-run uh, conferences each year to attend, but it's also been morphing and changing over the years. I think it was rightfully seen as, as a little bit more of sort of a user's group conference uh, for BlackBot services, but it's become so much more than that over the last few years. We try. Um, we talk about powering an ecosystem of good, and BBCon represents that very ecosystem. It, it's bringing together all the leaders in the nonprofit space, um, not just technical, but thought leadership. Um, and the goal is to help folks share best practices, learn from one another. Um, and we're looking forward to getting everybody together for this year's event. That's terrific. We still have uh, Annie here with us. Annie, we look forward to having you back with uh, the broader report um, in the fall. And uh, Tara, thank you for sharing this update on the uh, very important BBCon conference. I look forward to being there live, uh, Washington, D.C., October 26th through the 28th at the Gaylord National. And so, uh, Annie and Tara, thank you for joining us, and have a wonderful summer. Thank you. You too. You too, Ted. You bet. Thanks. With that, that uh, concludes our page one uh, news, uh, which means it is now time to run right over to page two.
Today, of course, our topic is the Giving USA 2016 report, uh, discussion of American giving in 2015. We have two of the foremost experts in this country on this data. Uh, Peter Fissinger is here with us. Uh, he is the president and chief executive officer of Campbell and Company. Uh, Peter has nearly 30 years of professional experience in institutional advancement, and he chairs the advisory council on methodology for Giving USA and serves on the board of the Giving Institute. Also here live on the Nonprofit Coach, we have Keith Curtis, who is the chair of the Giving USA Foundation, founder, president of the Curtis Group. Uh, Keith has more than 30 years of experience working on behalf of philanthropic organizations. And over that time, Keith has become recognized and an expert in all aspects of fundraising and nonprofit management. So we are in good hands today, gentlemen, on this very important uh, report. Um, let's start off with with uh, uh, Peter, uh, give us uh, a little bit of an introduction, and then Keith, if you can come in and uh, maybe share with us uh, the big news on the numbers. Thank you, uh, Ted. It's really nice to be here again this year. And the overview I would give is just, you know, just to clarify for the audience what Giving USA is. It, it is the longest-running annual report on U.S. charitable giving. We have estimates in the report for sources of giving and amounts received by type of organization. It's published by the Giving USA Foundation, of which my colleague Keith is the current board chair, and thanks for that good, important service that you're providing to the foundation, Keith. It's, it was begun in 1956 by the American Association of Fundraising Council, which is now known as the Giving Institute, and Keith's firm and Campbell and & Company are both active members of the Giving Institute. It's, I think it's important to note that this research is made possible by contributions from the Giving Institute member firms, foundations, and other donors, and we invite your listeners to go on the Giving USA website if, if what they hear today interests them, and to consider uh, downloading the free executive summary that is provided, but also consider purchasing uh, either the annual book that we publish or slides that they may use uh, with board members, donors, and staff. And if they do that, any purchase that they make will help support the research for next year. This data is researched and written by the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, and we're very pleased to have this partnership with the Lilly School. They are uh, true leaders in academic research around philanthropy. They created the, the first doctoral program in our field, to my knowledge, and they've done a great job uh, for many years in, in doing this research. So with that, I'll turn it over to Keith. Thanks, Peter. Uh, and Ted, thanks for uh, having both of us back on again. It, it was it was a lot of fun last year when we did this and, and really being able to share these numbers, and we appreciate the opportunity. Um, just to, to take a couple of minutes on the numbers, um, it, it, it really was a good year last year. 2015 was America's most generous year ever uh, in, in giving. Uh, charitable donations hit a record uh, for a second year in a row uh, at around $373 billion. Um, total giving grew about 4% in that year. Um, and what's, what's really key, I think, is if you look at the total giving uh, by a two-year time span, 
Um, that in that two-year time span, 2014-2015, um, giving hit a double-digit increase, reaching a 10.1% increase in inflation-adjusted uh, dollars. Um, but you know, we we talk a lot with Giving USA about numbers, um, and and really this report I think is in these findings are really more than numbers. They're they're really a, a symbol about what philanthropy means to Americans. Um, it's it's really heartening for us to to really realize that that individuals and corporations, foundations, they want to make a difference, whether it's in their community, nationally, internationally, uh, in supporting those causes that that really matter to them, and they're embracing philanthropy at a higher level than ever before. Um, and I I think just one last point, which which is really an interesting. Piece for us is um, it's really one billion dollars a day. When you think about what folks are giving, um, they are giving on average of about one billion dollars a day uh, to those causes that they care about. So it's it's really interesting to us as we think about philanthropy in this country. You know, and the fact that you know more people are contributing to charitable organizations typically than vote and more dollars are going to philanthropy, you know, and so it's, it really is uh, a key fabric of our society. Gentlemen, th- this is a very impressive report, and I thank all of our listeners who um, are either serving or supporting uh, philanthropic institutions can look to this report and, and rightfully be proud of a very vibrant um, and healthy uh, philanthropic uh, sector. Um, as you know, on, on the Nonprofit Coach, this is one of the most popular shows that we have each year. Um, and we always try to take the numbers, as you said, it's not just about the numbers, but it is partly about the numbers, and get behind the numbers in a way that our listeners can take this data back and make it applicable regardless of size of organization. So, for, for instance, looking through the, the data, one of the very powerful numbers that continues to be very strong, and I wanted to ask uh, you folks to to reflect on this, is that when you take into account giving by individuals, bequests which of course come from individuals and family foundations, that uh, adds up to 87% of the money given in this last year. That's an enormous sum, but when you think of it, it's 87 cents out of every single dollar that's donated comes from a family or an individual. What does that say about our society, and why is that important to nonprofit organizations to think about that statistic when they're putting their plans together? Peter, you want to jump in? Sure. Thank you, uh, Keith. I'm I'm happy that you pointed that out, Ted, because when we make these presentations every year, uh, and our our firm does between 10 and 15 presentations like this each year, one of the very first things that I point out is exactly what you said, that all told, it actually looks to me like maybe 88%, uh, but either way, it's the vast majority of all giving is driven by individuals. And I, and I think what that means to a lot of your listeners, uh, many of whom might be representing smaller nonprofit organizations, perhaps uh, in the human service industry, uh, is that unless they focus on building a program uh, of individual giving, it's very 
difficult to have a successful, comprehensive fundraising program. Sometimes smaller organizations, understandably, uh, especially grassroots organizations, might start uh, their fundraising program by asking for local corporate and foundation support. And that certainly makes sense uh, for a smaller organization to do. But it's very important that the fundraisers representing these organizations understand that statistic of 87 or 88 percent of all giving coming from individuals and striving to build a program focused around individual giving over time. So they have to acquire individual donors if they're not a university and, and have alumni, or if they're not a hospital and have grateful patients, or if they're not a museum and have members. You have to work to build a constituency of individuals who care about the mission of the organization and who can help expand the number of people engaged in supporting that mission, on top of all the other things uh, that a fundraiser has to do. But to, you know, and sometimes board members are not aware of this statistic. Even board members at sophisticated organizations sometimes are surprised to hear that number that you cited, 87 or 88 percent. And so I think that's the most important takeaway for a lot of the listeners that uh, are, have joined us today. Well, I, and, and I appreciate you, you pointing that out because, you know, when I'm providing training or counsel to uh, to nonprofit organizations, I also share that number. But there, there's also uh, sort of a, a double promise uh, to that in, in that over time, individuals and families support um, are likely to be more renewable over a longer period of time than might be foundations and corporations who certainly are philanthropic, want to be philanthropic, um, but do not often see themselves as lifetime givers uh, to uh, an organization. So when you're stacking up the time that you spend on developing um, your donors for your organization and you look at the fact that corporations give 5% of total giving in 2015, and nothing to sneeze at because uh, 5% uh, you know, 5 of uh, $373.25 billion is still an awful lot of money. Um, but are you properly spending your time in a way that's going to provide long-term success for your organization? Is, is that part of the strategy here? Ahead, I think Peter. it certainly is part of the strategy. Sorry, Keith, I thought you were going to uh, comment there. You know, corporate and foundation support are very important to, to uh, many, many nonprofit organizations, and uh, seeking that support is critical to the missions of many organizations represented on this on this uh, show today. But to your point, uh, many corporations uh, give uh, to help create programs that they think are critical to their community and look to see those programs to become uh, more self-supporting through other sources of philanthropy over time. Uh, foundations do the same. Of course, there are exceptions to that rule. Another thing to note about uh, corporations is that that total includes in-kind giving, uh, which is uh, estimated to be a, a fairly considerable uh, portion of the total, about uh, close to 20 percent 
of all giving might be in-kind giving. This includes pharmaceutical giving uh, or giving of, of medications through, uh, from pharmaceutical companies and giving of food to food banks across the country. So the, the actual dollar amount uh, of cash that received by some organizations might even be smaller than the number that you quoted. And not and, you to know, say that those in-kind gifts aren't important, but again, it's a, it's a matter of measuring your success for long term. Right. But, and, and, and I think also, you know, one thing to add to, to Peter's point on the corporate giving and the foundation giving, it does oftentimes, it, 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 it helps you know, validate, especially foundations, you know, because they're taking the nonprofit to a rigorous piece. Um, but, you know, what we're also seeing is uh, they are becoming much more focused on maybe specific programs that they'll fund and then they'll move along, as, as Peter talked about and you've talked about, Ted. And the other thing is what's happening with corporate giving now is we're seeing much more of that um, as corporations were, would call it more strategic giving, where they're giving really focused on sort of what their mission is. And so, right. um, you know, they're, they're, it, it's not as easy just to go to that corporation. And, and if you really do work with these individuals and tell that story, you know, they're going to be passionate for a long time about what you're doing. You know, you know what we know is that from households, you know, over 60% of households are, are making a gift in, in any typical year. Um, the other thing we should note is that in, in addition to those individuals giving, you know, a big chunk of that individual giving is coming from a really small percentage of the population, too, which is those high net worth donors um, and those high net worth donors are giving um, and as one of your earlier guests talked about um, you know they're really looking for that impact so they want to learn about the organization and 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 uh, feel like their gift is really making a difference exactly that's the important work that Annie Rhodes is uh, doing that she right. highlighted in uh, page one uh, today let's let's take a look at who's getting the money the, the charities so for our listeners today uh, representing various different sectors of the the philanthropic uh, community um, if people think about giving oftentimes they think about religion which does represent the largest single sector but has that sector been growing over time is that one of the growth areas uh, just to, as you look at those sectors, uh, religion continues to be the big piece of the pie, uh, with over 30% of all giving going to religion. Uh, if you went back 20 years or so, that piece of the pie would have been 50%. So the pie itself is shrinking. The fact, however, that we are raising so much more money than we did at that time, uh, religion actually – uh, when, when you're looking at it, is is seeing a, a slight growth. It, it's not growing as fast as those, as the other sectors, but it is a big piece of the pie. One of the of one of the smallest oh, growing ahead. sectors at, at 2.7 percent. The only um, sector growing slower uh, at the moment um, is that of healthcare. Um, so talk to us about what you may be seeing behind those numbers. Yeah, and, and, and within religion, I think part of the reason you're seeing not that slower growth is is what we realize is there's there's declining membership, especially within mainline and evangelical um, uh, 
organizations. Uh, the other thing is what we have to keep in mind is that there are a number of people in religion giving. Because remember, that's really houses, a lot of houses of worship. But there's a lot of other what people would identify as religious organizations that may fall into another category. So whether it's mm-hmm. a Salvation Army or a Catholic Charities or an Operation Blessing, those types of things. So so it's, it's not so much that people still aren't giving to what they may value as, as religion. It's just they may be giving to some other charities. You know, the health care piece has been interesting. And, and, you know, Peter, it would be interesting to get some of your thoughts on this too since you guys I know do some work in this sector. But um, really as you look at it, not only is it um, one of the, 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 the lowest increases year over year, but if you look at the last five years of, of giving from 2011 to 2015, um, health had the, the smallest uh, increase of any of the nine sectors that we're tracking. Um, you know, part of that is, um, you know, were people, uh, as, as they looked at things like the Affordable Care Act, were they, were they thinking, okay, maybe we don't need to support health care as much, also, sometimes when people are supporting healthcare, they're giving uh, to, to research, for instance, big gifts to research, and sometimes that may fall under education because the health, the, the, the hospital, for instance, healthcare system may be part of a large university. Peter, you may have some other uh, thoughts on that too. Sure, just uh, those are really good points. I would just add. To that um, we we I, I I moderated a discussion on a webinar last week and we were, had the privilege of the leader of uh, the Association of Healthcare Philanthropy participating in that discussion and he made some of the points that Keith just made but he went on to say that uh, something that we've noted for years that uh, first of all there's been all there's been an enormous amount of change in the healthcare environment in recent years. Secondly, it is a very complex market, and, and, it, and it is our experience that hospitals and healthcare organizations that make philanthropy a priority from top to bottom in the organization, and by that, they include, the, they include philanthropic results as part of what the CEO is evaluated on, and, and goals are set regarding that to the CEO every year, where the board has a clear understanding of the importance of philanthropy and the role that they play in helping uh, the program succeed, and where they're able to plan and execute campaigns and build a strong case for support around those campaigns, you'll see even within this data many, many hospitals succeeding at a higher uh, rate than the overall rate. It, it, the the, the larger entities tend to be doing better uh, than smaller entities. And the final point that I would make is, is just to remind everybody that uh, hospitals, uh, many hospitals, most hospitals, see philanthropy as a very small portion of their overall revenue. And so it can be harder to get the organization to align around the importance of philanthropy. One of the things that we point out is the cost uh, around philanthropy uh, the, the profit, if you will, if you're talking in, in, in those terms, is far higher than any other kind of revenue generation in a hospital or healthcare organization. 
Those are important points. Shaman, we're going to take just a very quick uh, break here. When we come back, I wanted to ask you uh, to take a look at the sector of international affairs, which had a very dramatic uh, shift from shrinking uh, in the prior uh, year, 2013-2014, to a dramatic growth, and and that that swing is a 20.4% growth by far. Uh, the, the highest rate of growth, and we'll be right back after this break. Have you ever wished you could take back an email you sent to the wrong person? Or have that nagging feeling that your confidential message was forwarded without your consent? Do you sometimes email sensitive data even though you know most email isn't secure? Well, we all have, because we're busy, and because in the world of email, there are no takebacks. Until now, Introducing Virtru, the simple way to send and receive secure email with confidence. Virtru is easy to install and use, and it works with your favorite email programs like Gmail, Outlook, Yahoo, MacMail, and more. When you hit the Send Secure button, your email is encrypted before it leaves your computer or smartphone. And even better, you can revoke a message at any time. You decide whether a message can be forwarded by recipients. You can track where your message is forwarded, and more. Download Virtue today and start sharing with confidence because everyone deserves digital privacy and security without hassle. And just a reminder that uh, this is our final program for the first half of the year. Uh, over the summer, there's a great time to catch up with amazing podcasts um, at tedhart.com. Uh, and, of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we will be back live here on The Nonprofit Coach uh, with our fall season starting September 20th. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're back here live on The Nonprofit Coach with Peter Fissinger and Keith Curtis. Our topic today is Giving USA 2016 report, discussion of American giving in 2015. Gentlemen, before we uh, went on the break, um, I just sort of posited this issue of a 20-plus point swing in international affairs. Um, what's that about? I think uh, when you look at this with international affairs and, and you, you – you talk about that increase, it was the single largest increase that we saw within all of the nine subsectors that we we track. Um, I, I think what's interesting about that sector is we know it can change sharply year over year. Oftentimes, natural or man-made disasters have an impact. Um, but but also, when you look at that sector, that if you if you look back over the last five years again. Uh, that was one of the lowest performing uh, sectors that we had. And in some years, actually 2013-14, we saw declines there. So so part of that is we're thinking um, people where they were focused so much on the Great Recession, maybe on some of those organizations that are, are close to them, there's a possibility now that they're, that, that international affairs is, is catching up. Um, there, there was the Nepalese earthquake, but you know that even even though there was money given to that, it, that's not what accounted for that huge increase. You know that that we saw there. It, it 
it was a portion of it, but not the huge piece. So it's, it is interesting to us the growth that we happened to see this past year considering where it had been for the last five years. This is an indication that Americans are are looking beyond our borders um, philanthropically, or do you think this is just a blip in time? I think it's the former, not the latter. Uh, if you look over, you know, everything that Ted, or, or excuse me, that Keith said uh, is accurate. Uh, in addition to that, if you look over the 15 to 20 year horizon, this remains. Uh, one of the fastest growing sectors. In fact, we didn't even bother to track it uh, until about 15 years ago. And so it, it, it does uh, it also indicate uh, to organizations that increasingly, and I would include young donors in this category, donors see themselves as global uh, citizens, not just local citizens. Right. And when you when you consider you know, the competition, if you will, uh, it's very important to note that uh, donors are, are, many donors increasingly are seeking impact around the world uh, in addition to around the corner. And I, I, I think to add to that piece, you know, and especially because of, of what we've seen, for instance, with online giving, um, international organizations, they do focus on that. Um, and, and so it's an easier way to give to them. Uh, we're also, as we talked about corporations earlier, you know, we are seeing corporations and, you know, foundations. I mean, foundations, for instance, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which focus a lot on international. You've got some of your large corporations doing that uh, because they have, they have locations. Uh, internationally, so they want they want to make sure that they're supporting causes. So I I would agree with Peter. I I I would would guess that a lot of this is again as we were coming out of that great recession, and where people were focusing their gifts in in international affairs is now catching up. Uh, when you look at the um, uh, inflation adjusted dollars um, by uh, type of donor. Um, it's, it's interesting that the the high point of individual uh, giving uh, was uh, back in the uh, early 2000s, um, and that while we certainly have the most um, uh, generous giving as a total this year, um, the giving by individuals sector has not yet reached that high point. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at uh, the statistics of um, it looks like uh, right around uh, 2004, perhaps, uh, $268 billion um, from individuals. And, and right now we're looking at uh, 265 so not quite there, but certainly took a dip. And individuals um, uh, did uh, uh, find, feel the pain. Uh, during the great uh, the great recession, uh, and I'm wondering if if, uh, if there's any numbers behind that, or uh, do you find that individuals are that much more sensitive to fluctuations in the economy than uh, perhaps as we see pretty straight line for uh, for foundations giving? I, you know, I'd like to say uh, if I could a couple of points on that question, and that's a that's a that's a really good observation, Ted. Uh, the truth of the matter is there's enormous room for growth 
in philanthropy. We're excited that people are as generous as they are, but it's our job to help organizations and to help uh, individuals think about how they might give more. And there's and there's great room for growth. And if we could get to two and a half percent of the gross domestic product as opposed to 2.1. That's the single biggest way that we could move the needle on philanthropy and giving Institute and giving USA is focused on that. However, behind the numbers, I think this trend, this increasing trend of individuals creating family foundations and creating Mm -hmm. donor-advised funds. Donor-advised funds Mm -hmm. are estimated to have given up, uh, to have increased by five thousand percent uh since 1991 and now account for 5.5 percent of all giving i also think that there is some migration effect in in those numbers but you make a very valid point Mm -hmm. go ahead no i I was just going to really emphasize this piece that that uh, as, as as peter is talking there is there is room for growth you know we also because of the economy, you know, there are some folks that are, um, you know, still recovering from that. So that's one piece, and, and, and hopefully they'll catch up. But I think this piece about these private family foundations and these donor-advised funds, I mean, they really are the growth that we've seen in both of those. And keep in mind, you know, there's a number of donor-advised funds, uh, you, you know, that as we're looking at in, in a – that people are putting into community foundations or these national funds, the private family foundations they have. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to look at these donor vehicles and how nonprofits really need to be thinking about them, not just, oh, we happen to get this gift from a donor advice fund. I mean, that, that donor advice fund gift is, is coming from an individual or a family, right. and they really it's need so to make important. sure they're stewarding them. It's so important to, to keep that in mind. I, I have, as you gentlemen probably know, I have a front-row seat uh, to this topic. I serve as CEO at CAF America Donor Advised Funds, uh, which focus on international and domestic giving. And, for, and we've grown 168% in just the last four years. Uh, 55% in just the last year. And what we see is people who want to be more thoughtful, strategic, and impactful in their giving want to have the ability to take their time in thinking through how they want to give, when they want to give, and where they want to give, as opposed to, I think, what what has been traditionally sort of, you know, that push at holiday time, give, the pressure to give during the holidays. Um, and, and I think we're, we're seeing a new dynamic emerge of, uh, of donors who want to be thoughtful and have the ability to to be strategic. So certainly the growth in donor advised funds, I think. Um, but it does bring a new dynamic for the charities um, and the donors that were our listeners to uh, to this show. Um, and, and you just brought up the key issue there, and that is I think a lot of folks look at donor advised funds, and because they can't solicit them like they solicit a corporation, a foundation, or an individual, they, they just seem like this anomaly that is is a problem uh, in the sector. And it's quite the opposite when for those smart philanthropic uh, de- uh, development officers who understand that it's getting to know the donor behind the donor advised fund is the key to unleashing those funds. I, I couldn't agree more. And congratulations on the great job uh, that you're that you're doing with your organization. There's one other point I'd make in addition to what you said: is these donors 
are including their family increasingly right. in, in giving decisions. And that's terrific for the future of philanthropy. But it, it, it points back to one of the number one lessons that never changes, uh, which is make sure you get to know your donor and their motivations. Uh, don't assume right. if, a, if, if, if a gift is given by Mr. Keith Curtis that there isn't a partner there who has a lot of input in, in whether and how gifts are made, or that Mr. Curtis might be including his children and someday grandchildren in thinking about, you know, and getting them to think about philanthropy. And so understanding what's behind that motivation and, and working individually with these people to help them accomplish their goals is, is critically mm -hmm. important. And, and you're bringing it back to the basics of good fundraising, and I understand that you know a lot of organizations and development officers are always looking for the silver bullet, always looking for that you know that maybe speedier way to a donation. But it comes down to the relationships. It comes down to the time that you put into understanding the motivation and the people behind that gift. And it's no different if the money is coming from a donor advised fund. Getting to know the donor behind there is how you release those funds. Yeah, and I, I, one other one other piece to add on the donor advice fund, they, you know, some of the national um, donor advice funds is they've done research. What they've also seen is is not only are their donors strategic about their giving now, but those donors because they think about philanthropy uh, have a higher um, probability of making a planned gift. Um, mm -hmm. than than others. So again, you know what you're doing is you're looking as as Peter's they're involving their family as you talked about strategically, but they're also looking at this very long term. And so nonprofits right. really need to be thinking of that. They sure do. Gentlemen, we only have uh, about seven minutes left and, and so much more of this report to uh, to cover. Um, impressive numbers. Obviously, um, some sectors growing faster than others, but across the board um, seeing, uh, seeing growth, but still not um, uh, breaking through. A significant, uh, a significant growth in the percentage of gross domestic product, um, sitting at 2.1% in this report. Uh, nice uh, growth from uh, coming out of the Great Recession, where it dipped below uh, 2%. But but the high back in 2000, 2005, 2.2%. We haven't seen anything greater than that. Um, is the trend line going to continue, or is that the ceiling for giving in the United States? We, I think Keith will agree with me, with me that we refuse to uh, say that that's the ceiling. And uh, the good news is if you look over a five-year period, uh, GDP has been growing at an annual rate of about 2%, and giving has been growing at an annual rate of about 3.5%. So uh, it, it, it feels right now like we're, we're headed in the right direction uh, in that regard. Uh, but, you know, I, I do agree with you that uh, we need to continue to think of innovative ways to, to get our message across and to in, increase positive philanthropic behavior when you look at these aggregate totals. That really is a, a critically important objective for the future of philanthropy. Is, uh, is the stock market a predictor of future giving? Without well, question. I, 
Yeah, I, and, and I think, you know, as you look at the economy as a whole, uh, sometimes, you know, as, as we talk about these increases, you know, what we know is Americans are generous. I mean, downtimes, you know, uptimes. But when the economy is doing well, uh, people do respond with more giving. And, and really, the S&P 500 is, is one of those key indicators that we would have and that people are looking at. You know, there's others, too, that are out there, personal consumption, you know, for corporations, it's pre-tax profits. But, but you know, as people look at the S&P 500, you know, because so many people are invested, for instance, whether it's their IRA or 401K, um, as that's going up, their assets are going up and they, they have a better feel. So it's it's very important. It seems that um, it's pretty hard-baked that uh, individual giving as a percentage of disposable personal income um, is right in that 2% range as well. And that, that seems pretty hard-wired. Um, is that uh, a, uh, a way for our listeners to understand looking at research on someone's income? Uh, and, and lining that up to where a sizable gift or a major gift may be coming in, does that give you a clue as to where an ask should be? Because it's so hard. I think it's one. I think it's one piece of the information, Ted. There's also, frankly, uh, total net worth, and as Keith mentioned earlier, invested assets. Whether or not those assets uh, have appreciated, but I think the important point. And the relevant point about that data is that uh, philanthropy is a form of consumption. And it's a, it's a want to have, not an absolutely have to have, for most uh, individuals in this country. And I don't mean to suggest that we're not generous, as, as Keith noted. It, it's just that the amount that we're able to give is, is within the parameters of our economic ability that can uh, change over time and, and fluctuate from year to year. Uh, one of the things that we've noted that's not in this research, but anecdotally uh, through other research that, that we've been involved with at Campbell and & Company and our experience with our clients, is that donors tend to reduce the number of organizations to which they give when they reduce giving, as opposed to the amount they give to the organizations they care about most. And so the, the endearing message here is that all giving is finite, uh, and we, we have to try to understand our donors as well as possible, really, truly cherish them, help them see the impact of their giving, and when they do hit harder times, if, if, if your organization is among their top two or three priorities, they will do their best to continue to take care of your organization as a result. Because they care about it. Gentlemen, yep. we only have about two and a half minutes left, and I do want to just very quickly ask you, when you look at the statistics uh, back in the 70s, early 80s, um, the vast majority of money was going to religion, education, human services, and health. Uh, and all of the others were, were just the others, public society benefit, arts and culture, international affairs, environmental, uh, and animals. They, they were so small as to almost not really be significant. Now when you, you look at the statistics, they're, they're all over the place. Religion has shrunk. The others have grown. Um, but now there is more diversity in giving. Is this a factor of the Internet? I 
I think it's a factor. Uh, it, it's it's a couple of things. I think the internet does play a piece in it. It you know it is much easier now to research organizations that you're interested in giving to. It's also much easier. You know, keep in mind, online giving is still only about you know seven or eight percent of all giving in this country, mm-hmm. but you know those groups that you mentioned, international affairs, and to some degree, um, you know, environment and animals. There are a lot of people you know that are searching out those organizations, making those gifts online, uh, and they're not always right there in their community. So they've been able to broaden, as Peter mentioned earlier. It's it's become much more global in the way people view their philanthropy. I want to thank I, I Peter Bissinger and, and Keith Curtis. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to have to, uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time here. Peter Fissinger, President Chief Executive Officer, Campbell and & Company, and Keith Curtis, uh, Chair of the Giving USA Foundation. Thank you so much. Thought-provoking information uh, here. We really appreciate you always coming on and giving us uh, the story behind the story of the great uh, giving uh, cycle here in the United States. Gentlemen, thank you, and have a wonderful summer. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.